Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Keith Bailey. You may know Keith. He is out of Alabama. He is one of the guys, I don't know if you'd call him cronies or the crew for Ultimate Adventure. Um, if you've ever been to Gray Rock outside of Birmingham, you have probably met Keith. And uh, he's the owner of Off-Road Connection. And we're going to sit and learn all about Keith. Keith, Thank you for coming on board today. Good morning. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's great. I haven't seen you in quite a while. Um, I think the last time was probably at one of our dirt riot races there at Gray Rock. I believe it. I believe you're correct. But uh, let's go ahead and jump right in. And, you know, where were you born and raised? Rich, I was born right here, right in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, Jefferson County. Just a few years ago, it seems like. <laughs> it's amazing how time flies, doesn't it? Yes, it does. doesn't stop. So growing up there, um, did you grow up in the city or was it more rural? It's a rural town outside of Birmingham, not far. Uh, grew up in Gardendale. Went to school, graduated in Gardendale. Went to a trade school as well. Started off-roading, or actually being around four-wheel drives, before I was uh, able to drive. I, I guess I was 15, hanging out with some guys that was older than me that had big trucks, and uh, and it kind of started from there. So when you were when you were in school, this is a question I ask everybody, and we can expand into it if you wish. Were you studious? Were you athletic? Were you outdoorsy and did your own thing? Hmm. I definitely wasn't athletic. I did play sports. I think I was more there for support for my <laughs> better teammates. <laughs> uh, uh, I was definitely outdoorsy. I loved to hunt. Uh, like I said, riding around in the old uh, – coal mines, a reclaimed land area that surrounds Birmingham. Did a lot of things outdoors. Hunting and fishing? Yes. Yes, I love to fish. Yeah, I really got into fishing when my parents bought a uh, place 
on the lake, uh, Smith Lake. It's about an hour from where I grew up. And I guess that was the start of my uh, really enjoying fishing, really uh, getting into it. Was it the, the, the act of catching the fish or was it the act of just kind of being able to um, zone out? Well, I, I guess, and I, to this day, I'm still fishing. I'm not a catcher. By no means. (laughs) So I still call it fishing. So uh, every now and then I get lucky and uh, pick the right tackle or the the right day. But uh, uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I just I enjoy water, Uh, moving water, creek, rivers, uh, anything like that is is enjoyable. So if you're a fisherman and not a catcherman. Does that mean you do not have one of those sparkly bass boats? That's exactly right. I do not have one of those. I like the the closest thing I have to that is a sit on top kayak. There you go. um, Which I really enjoy that. It's, it reminds me of off-roading when you're going down a a moving current, uh, picking your line and just enjoying the outdoors. Awesome. Yeah. We got a lot out here in the, the Corpus Christi Bay area. There's a lot of fishermen that use those uh, those kayaks for fishing. I I myself stick to larger boats just for the fact of uh, I don't want to fall in and then have <laughs> to try to get my my ass back out and on the boat. <laughs> I understand. Yes. Then it becomes swimming. Yes. Instead of fishing. (laughs) Or surviving. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about those early days romping around um, 15, running with some older guys that have pickup trucks. Was it, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, like just climbing hills or did you guys, those reclamation areas with the coal mines? Or you guys, actually, it was strip mining, wasn't it, most of that part? It was strip mining, yep. Mm-hmm. Actually, when we were doing that, when I was 15, 16, it was big trucks, big tires, uh, deep mud holes, and and just kind of running around. And you couldn't do a whole lot because uh, not any of us had lockers. We didn't even know what a locker was right. or posi traction. Um but we spent a lot of nights uh, digging ourselves out of the mud hole we just tried to to go through. <laughs> That's all part of it, though. It was. It, 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 it definitely turned me against going mud riding, for sure. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of of wet soil. No, not at all. Not not anymore, anyway. But that seemed like that was the thing to do, you know? Right. Getting those those frame rails filled with mud, and if you ever have to cut one open, you're you know cutting through rock. That's <laughs> right, exactly. Making bricks. There you go. So, what was your first vehicle that that you drove? Maybe not the first, the first one with a driver's license. Let's. Is was there any vehicles before you had a driver's license that you uh, you got to bash around at all? Uh, well, my buddies let me drive their trucks, uh, but that was about it. You know, back then it was, uh, big trucks, big tires, uh, square body Chevrolets, 
early model Fords, and everybody named their truck. They had a, you know, you, it was, there was a ditch digger and there was a night crawler and there was a brown bear. I mean, there was a, it was a big thing around here. Uh, and we would go to the, uh, even go to the mud races, you know, as a group, as a club kind of. Okay. But, uh, but my first vehicle, actually, my first four-wheel drive was a CJ5. It was a early model, seven, uh, late model, 76, 304, three-speed, fender well headers. Uh, that's, that's when I really started uh, enjoying the, the off-roading or the, the trail riding. Right. And did you work on, on parents' rigs or when you were younger, or did you, uh, did you find things to take apart and put back together? What became, what became, how did you get your interest in, in the mechanical side of it? Watching my dad or helping my dad. Okay. I have two older brothers along with two older sisters and, uh, watching my dad help my brothers, uh, with their cars, um, holding the flashlight. Oh. Boy. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> you really learn a lot about flashlights, don't you? <laughs> you do. And, uh, I remember it's just plain as day me just being distracted and that flashlight not even pointing where he was working that's that famous words right here where i'm working but i guess that was it dad uh he uh he didn't take anything uh to get it repaired he did it himself and and i guess that's where i got that um initiative to well, I don't know how, but I guess we'll learn, you know. Right. Now, did you uh, did you spend any time in the military? I did not. You didn't. I did not. I came close. Uh, I got laid off from a fab shop, and uh, I decided that's that was when I was going. So I filled out all the paperwork, and I was scheduled to come back and take a test, and then I got a I got a job, and. Uh, I didn't. I didn't go take a test, so I came real close. And sometimes I wish I would have not found that job and uh, continued with that. But but uh, I miss that. I miss not having that experience. That growing up. Right. I I think for a lot of us that are close in the the same age group. I know I'm I'm older than you, but there's there's a there wasn't a lot of need. For the military, Vietnam was behind us. No more draft. Um, no real world conflicts going on. Um, there was no pressing need, and so a lot of us ended up, you know, working or going to college or, you know, just uh, getting married younger, um, whatever. And it's it's interesting that you know then all of a sudden you get to the guys that are in their forties and they're back in the military. Yep, uh, you're. I think you're. You're right on with that, right. uh, for sure. I, I have a lot of good friends uh, in the military, and I, I respect their decision for sure. It's 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 great to go through that. I had some that was suggested to go to the military by by a judge, and they've done <laughs> <laughs> they've done real well in their career. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's a good way of putting that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so growing up in that, 
that mid-south Alabama area, there's a lot of lakes, a lot of rivers. Um, there was a lot of uh, strip mining going on. And in a fairly rural, I mean, that Gardendale area is still pretty uh, pretty rural. Is it been a big change for you watching it change from those from the you know the seventies um, up you know to nowadays? Oh, for sure, for sure. We uh, the the ability or the the able to just drop off any paved road onto a, an old uh, trail or access to some large land areas which were owned by the coal companies um all of that's gone away uh, it's now uh the roads are still there the areas are still there for the most part and um but uh the hunting clubs have taken over to to police it and to uh but uh and and it's just stopped a lot of that which there's a lot of trash throwing, a lot of dumping, of illegal dumping on those roads. So the hunting clubs have, have stopped that by by gating them off. But uh, it has changed that part of it for sure. But uh, the off-road parks in the area has taken a place of that type of wheeling. Right. And Gray Rock is one of those. Yes, yes. Gray Rock came along at the, at the best time. Uh, and I'm sure it's not the the very first one in Alabama, but it sure was. Uh, it was right at the beginning of them. And uh, that's Tony and Myra Cousins' property, correct? Correct. Yes, Tony and I have been. Uh, we actually, he was one of the guys that had one of those big trucks uh, years ago in high school. It was a Toyota, but it was a big Toyota. Uh, but uh, yeah, been been knowing Tony and friends with Myra and both of them for years. And uh, that, uh, and it was right. His his property or Gray Rock was right in the middle of all the coal, uh, reclaimed coal land, which made excellent off roading. Right, because they'd go in and they'd they'd strip it all out, and then they'd push it all back in after they got the coal out of there. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and years ago, they didn't reclaim as. Uh, like they do now, and a lot of it was just left, a lot of piles of overburden, which become really actually good challenging trails and obstacles. So it really makes for a a good off-road park. Well, excellent. Let's, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about your, your life, um, getting into the wheeling where did uh, where did you meet your wife at actually <laughs> i don't know if i should say this but uh, <laughs> I, I met my wife at those places you're told never to meet your wife at ah <laughs> we, we met at a country uh a bar um western dancing went western uh bar was real popular and we met there one night so and I've uh, been having fun ever since. Excellent. Sometimes mm-hmm. that works out. It does. It uh, it, it 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 really has. Uh, for coming on twenty six years now, we've been we've been married. Excellent. Glad you found a good one, or one that That's would right. tolerate you. Is that what it is? 
Well, I knew I, I knew I had a I had something going for me. So when I, I went to her her house for the first time to pick her up, uh, there was a jeep in the the garage, and uh, uh, she had never mentioned that, and I had no idea. So um, that was that was a plus right then. Absolutely, it it's amazing if you share hobbies or interests, it really helps a relationship go a lot farther. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, I run into a lot of guys at the, a lot of customers and guys at the shop, you know, that, that has the, has the hobby, but the wife completely is the opposite. And, uh, I just couldn't imagine they're, they're having to hide money and pull out, pull out cash folded up in really small parts of their billfold to pay for things. And, uh, uh, I'm very fortunate to have, uh, a wife, a friend, and a daughter that really enjoys the uh, off-roading. So when you got into into off-roading and you were out of school, um, did you did you do any trade school work, or you know how did you did. Uh, how did you jump in? Okay, I went uh, I went to uh, vocational school in Gardendale. I went to the high school for a half a day, and then you could go to the trade school the other half, morning or evening. And I took uh, I took sheet metal and fabrication at uh, at the vocational school in Gardendale. And and the last two years there, you could actually co-op. You actually could leave school and go to work. And uh, and I did that. And uh, Went to actually it wasn't sheet metal, it was a uh, full blown fab shop where I learned to do a lot of fab work, a lot of welding, layout work. So that's how I got started in I guess the fab part of the off road world. And what were you building at that fab shop? It was a number of different things. Uh, that that company they did it all. They did a lot of aluminum work, a lot of large, heavy iron structure, a lot of, I guess, exhaust, industrial type exhaust. Okay. But <clears throat> during lunch and and in the mornings, I were I was making Nerf bars and bumpers and <laughs> and different <laughs> different things like that. Utilized your time. I did. I sure did. I got there early, stayed late, and worked through lunch sometimes on. Uh, Building, building something for my CJ. Nice. And so, how long did you have that? Have you had that CJ, or do you still have it? Well, my first one, my CJ five, uh, I actually traded it in on the one I have now in nineteen eighty four. I guess I had that black CJ five for two years, uh, and completely worked on it every day from front to back, top to bottom. And uh, got it all nice and fixed up, and my dad suggested for me to go get a new one. And uh, we traded it in that night. He co-signed with me, and uh, I left there with a 1984 CJ7. V8? It was not. (laughs) In fact, it was a 2.5. 2.5. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, uh, 2.5 with... Low back seats. It didn't even have a radio. It, and as far as carpet, it only had a piece that went across the hump uh, in the front. 
It did have a hard top though, and had some nice wheels and tires on it. I think some thirty ones. Big ones. Big ones. Big <laughs> ones. But uh, it didn't take long to to realize that two point five was it was it going to cut it and. A friend of mine, he'd happened to, uh, I think he slung a rod in his, and he wanted to buy one. So out come the 2.5, and then went a 4.2. Okay. So And the modification started, and, I, you know, I don't know if they've stopped since 84. Is a vehicle mm-hmm. ever really done? I don't think so. Uh, this six months ago, eight months ago, uh, I was preparing to go on a UA, and uh, I was laying under it doing something. I was like, you would think I'd be done by now, you know. <laughs> but I still enjoy it, though. Well, that's that's amazing. You're going on, damn, that's forty, almost 40 years now owning that Jeep. <laughs> yeah, there's not too many stock parts. <laughs> uh, I think the dash and the VIN number. Uh, the paint code. Uh, there's a few things left. <laughs> so, how did you uh, how did you get involved with having your own shop? What was the process? When did it? When did you go from like fab shop or working for others to just going? Okay, I'm going to do this on my own. Well, I started. So there was a group of us that had Jeeps, high school friends, friends, and uh, I started buying Jeeps that were in backyards or beside the garages. or And I collected up a large amount of used Jeep parts, uh, all models. And uh, I would put a little advertisement, and this was at my house. This was at the house I was, I was in at that time. So the basement was like a, a salvage yard. Uh, but I started advertising Jeep parts for sale in a little local paper called the Thrifty Nickel. Right. You, you could put uh, ads in there. I think it was free. But uh, I started and got a pretty good clientele that way. And uh, later on, opened up a little small commercial uh, very small it was actually a game room on the side of a convenience store this little storefront i guess you could say okay and i moved a lot of the parts up there the ones that were small and it could fit and then uh had a canopy out out front that the uh, where the gas pumps used to be because the convenience store now was a consignment store for clothing and heck, that's that's when I got my first business license, and I did that part time for a, for a long time. I would open up after work, I'd open up on Saturdays, and just kept building uh, a clientele. And approximately, what time period was that? That was around ninety ninety one, late late yeah, about ninety one. Uh, I advertise that I've been open since 92. So there was a lot of years there without business license, I guess you could say. But once I got that storefront, naturally I had to, or I did. So that was about 91, early 92. Okay. 
And was it called Off-Road Connection then? Actually, it wasn't. It was called the Jeep Connection. Okay. And I knew the trademark um, part of that, but I was like, you know, who is going to care about me in this little small storefront? So I named it the Jeep Connection, and uh, that lasted until one of the uh, lawyers from Jeep came and <laughs> told me differently. <laughs> you know, at that time, I was going on a lot of Jeep Yamarees, and uh, I had my little magnetic stickers on my, my Jeep. And I guess that's where I exposed myself to the Jeep Corporation. You exposed the name of your company. Yes. Okay, good. Cause, yes. Because saying you exposed yourself, you know, could no, lead yeah, people yeah, down no. the wrong path. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, not at all. Yeah, they uh, and and then they were they were cool about it. They said it's kind of like a catch twenty two for them. You know, they like they love the advertisement, but if they if they do not protect it, like all trademarks, they'll lose it. So. I went from the Jeep connection to the off-road connection. Was that a hard transition in that area, or were you established enough to where, you know, people caught on real quick? It it was that. I, I don't I don't remember any difficulties from changing. Uh, I think it was such early on it it didn't matter. And then, how many locations did you have until you get your to where you're at now? Well, I had that one was in actually. So the first one was, I guess you could say, was my house, my basement. The second one was in Gardendale at the at the arcade uh, connected to the convenience store. That was in Gardendale, and then now I'm in Fultondale. Okay. I was doing the work out there on my in Gardendale. I was having to do my installs under the canopy where the gas pumps were, which wasn't anything major at that time, but uh, if I couldn't do it there, I was doing it at the house. And uh, and then the move from Gardendale to Fultondale was actually a garage. It was, it was a four-bay garage, uh, a little small showroom or storefront. And that's where I am still. At what point did you get married along that process? Well, 20, almost 26 years ago. I was still doing it part-time. I was still leaving after work, going to my full-time job, going and opening up when Debbie and I met. And then, actually, uh, she gave me the confidence to uh, to quit and go full-time. So Very nice. Um and she she did. She gave me that confidence, and uh, she she still does. She still encourages me to on all kind of things. Uh, so if I had a calculator, I could tell you about what year that was. But uh, Debbie and I only dated six months before we got married, so it wasn't long after we met. We had we got married, and then shortly after that, I quit my sheet metal job, my fabricating job, and then uh, went full-time. Well, it's nice to have a woman like Debbie behind you, knowing, you know, seeing that, you know, you had the potential to do to do more. And 
and encouraging you to do so. Oh yeah, for sure. There's no doubt. Uh, well, that's that's uh, that's the only way, you know, to succeed. I would think is to have or surround yourself. It just not only have to be a wife, but it works out a lot better if it is your wife for sure. Right. Let's talk about how you got involved with Ultimate Adventure. Oh man, let's see. That was in early. It was probably early '03. Okay. Uh, myself and a few friends had taken a trip out to Moab, and we were at the bottom of Potato Salad Hill, and we were taking turns trying it and watching it. And there was a photographer from Peterson's up there taking pictures. And uh, it wasn't long till he uh, came down and introduced himself, and and that was Trent McGee. And, uh, and we became friends, uh, it seemed like instantly he, he got along really well with, with the guys, uh, with us. And, uh, and then not long, he left the magazine and, and, uh, moved to Louisiana. Right. He went to work for Superlift. Uh, for Superlift. Yes. Yep. So he was really close to home then, and uh, after that, we uh, he came up and wheeled with us on the weekends, and uh, we got to know each other and became better friends. So in 03, he called in 03 and asked if I'd be interested in hosting the UA. The UA was really young then. I think there may only have been – one actually official and maybe another one that was unofficial in 03. So he and Rick came through and we, uh, I took them around Gray Rock, uh, which was not really Gray Rock then. It was, it was an area that you could, you could wheel, uh, with permission. And, um, and then they left and, uh, went on and routed out the, the rest of the adventure so that was my beginnings. I they uh, they started in Teleco, North Carolina, right outside Murphy, uh, and I went there along with uh, Sam, a friend of mine, Sam Gillis. We went up there and helped guide or tail gun or mid gun the UA in in Teleco that year. Uh, I met Fred Williams for the first time. At Teleco, uh, Tom Boyd, I met him at the first time. And then uh, after that day of wheeling in Teleco, which was a very long day, we uh, we traveled back to Alabama to wait for their arrival here. That was my beginnings of, of the UA, is meeting all those guys. Uh, Rick Payway, uh, of course, but uh, that was the start of a uh, what I thought would never continue. And I'm still able to go even now. That's pretty awesome. That's that's kind of a, one of those punch list or life goal type things for a lot of wheelers out there is to get on get on a, a UA trip. For sure. Uh, a little story prior to 03, Trent McGee asked me to ride with him on the UA in 02. And... 
I think it was 02, maybe in 01. And it was going to be out west, Midwest somewhere. And our daughter was just, had been born. And I, as far as my work, it was just me up there, maybe along with, with another hand. And I just couldn't, I couldn't leave for a week to go attend a UA. And I, I said, that was probably going to be my only opportunity to ever go on a UA. And uh, that was prior to 03. And then in 03, Trent came here, and I hadn't missed one since. So let's talk about, <clears throat> since you guys get to, to go to a lot of different areas, some of them are parks, some of them are not parks. Um, it might be just private property or even uh, like what we call BLM, Bureau of Land Management, managed government properties out here in the west what is uh what are some places that really stand out Ooh, oh there's so many uh i guess growing up and reading the magazines the year we went to the rubicon trail and florida is probably was a huge check mark uh that was something i you know read about dreamed about and uh, and there I was uh, running it in my own rig, which uh, so that really stands out. But there is so many. I enjoy every one of them. Uh, it's always something new. It's new. You meet different people. You definitely wheel at different places. We've done, uh, I guess, every state but three now. Wow. And one of one of those being Hawaii. Which is going to be more difficult to do, not only because of travel there, but there is not a lot of areas to wheel. Really? Yeah. Um, you would think you could get onto those lava fields and everything, but uh, you can't. Um, the uh, it's uh, I, I spent a, a Christmas there two weeks and hooked up on the big island with uh with some people um from the big island jeep club and they took us out wheeling and went to different trails and different things that they'd done and uh yeah there's not a lot of there's not a lot of stuff that would i think that would would facilitate a tr uh, an event like ua right i guess it would have the cool factor of saying hawaii uh you know, the year we went to Alaska just a few years ago, there's a lot of outback, just, you know, desolate areas to wheel. But far as rock crawling, as we enjoy it more so, there wasn't a lot of that. But just being in Alaska made up for it. Right. True. Uh, so that's maybe like Hawaii, but uh, but it's... It's such a great experience and this humble to be able to go or be a part of it because, uh, like you said, a lot of people think about it and would dream about it, but you got to send your application in first uh, to to even up those chances. And then they only pick a few from because normally right. it's it's industry, the guys that are you know helping like yourself, and then. Uh, and, and Boyd and some of the others. And then there's 
they bring what they call the readers. There's only a, a, a handful of those every year. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, they, uh, they, we've had up to, I think, five readers one year, maybe six, six counting the return reader. So if you get chosen and, uh, and, um, and able to attend being a reader, if you really have the right attitude, the, you will, the, the brakes off the, the vehicle and just kind of fit in and, and just and don't whine. You really enjoy the whole week of wheeling. There's a good chance you get to return for a second year. And that, that's the return reader. Okay. Awesome. Oh. Mm-hmm. So who's the, uh, since I know quite a few of the, the staff, I would, I'll call them instead of the cronies. Um, the, who are, who's the, who's the craziest? Is it Tom? <laughs> the craziest. You know, the one that's always, the one that's always, you know, say pushing the limits. I would, I would think Tom is, Tom is like the ringleader of crazy, but there's a lot of followers of, <laughs> of Tom. <laughs> Vern just cracks me up. I mean, he is, and Fred is right there with him. He and Fred and Dave, I guess I can't just say one. They're, I really enjoy their company. And Trent is, is unbelievable and uh, his knowledge and, and how he puts the trips together and, uh, that little core, um, and, and, and being right there with Chris Durham, uh, there's so much to learn from all those guys. And, uh, it's kind of like I get together for, for friends that we don't get to see each other that often, but that week we really catch up and enjoy, uh, our time together. Excellent. And I know that every time you guys go someplace, um, like this last year, you guys were in Mason, and I know you went to K2, um, where Randy and Shane um, run the park there. Did you guys get over to Wolf Caves as well? We did not. Okay. Uh, we did not, but the guys around here, we, we were trying to go somewhere every month, uh, somewhere different. And I'm really pushing for us for our long trip we're gonna do one long trip which would be you know a, a three-day wheeling trip and i'm really pushing for katipsy and wolf k for us to go you know do both in one trip right when do you think that long trip will be well i i told them though i don't know how it is in the spring i imagine it's going to be would be fine but the time of year that we did and uh did the ua there was excellent and i don't know if that was the weather was just abnormal, or that was normal, but it was perfect uh, wheeling, camping uh, time of the year. So it may be even then. Yeah, spring and fall are pretty good there in central Texas, the hill country. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I guess it really depends if they're, you know, if we do a, if a UA is going to happen uh, again, it kind of, I'll have to plan it around that for sure. Right. And UA is always around the same time of the year, right? Well, it 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 has been the last four years. Uh, okay. It used to be in July, 
uh, I wasn't home for the 4th of July for like 14 or 15 years straight. Wow. Yeah, because that, that, it started that weekend or it ended the weekend of the 4th. And uh, when Christian Hazel took over, him being a family man or more family oriented, uh, he he just moved it to uh, away from the Fourth of July, and um, it's been easing on into the fall time since then. And actually, the cooler temperatures have been welcome because we had some very very hot UAs. I can imagine. You're just, you're driving up you know an oven down the road to start with. <laughs> We call we call our XJ the wood stove. <laughs> right. There's no AC, and ever since we put that Atlas in, it's it's just like this big heat heat sink in there that just is just it just radiates. Oh, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I've had uh, when we that one year we went across uh, Death Valley, the hundred and. 27 degrees. Oh, Lord. oh, guys, you know, we was taking our hoods off. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was great experience. Uh, I mean, not whining at all. I'm glad we all made it. And, and, uh, and nobody died. No, what, no one died. And what was, what was so, uh, awesome, I guess you would say, or a great experience was we went across there that day and that evening we had, jackets and gloves on where we ended up in camp. So the temperature change was, was unreal. That's an interesting thing about the desert, especially that area. Cause you go from way below sea level and you can get up to seven, eight, 9,000 feet pretty easy. Yeah. And that's, and that's what happened. It was crazy. We went from a desert and then, we dropped down into a valley to get supplies for that night and the next day. And, uh, it was just green grass and trees and just, it was like, you just, you went over a, a mountain pass, went up out of the desert and then dropped back in probably definitely a, a higher elevation. And it was uh, completely different. It was, it's awesome to experience that, especially in an open rig, you know, no windows, you know, nothing, no doors, just, you get the full effect for sure. Especially the heat. <laughs> yes, especially the heat. So, so uh, have you taken your seven then on all the UAs or have you taken other vehicles? I have taken other ones. Uh, I have a bruiser chassis uh, that I bought from Poison Spider, the early Poison Spider when Clifton Slay owned it. I've taken it, and uh, the trip to Alaska, I took uh, my LJ. So, But it's only been on one. The LJs only went to Alaska, and then uh, the CJ started out strong, and when the buggy was finished in 2003, uh, I really enjoyed it, but it's not comfortable at all, and uh, and it's real small for two, for two people to live out of it for a week it's, it's difficult but i enjoy wheeling it more so because i'm not concerned about the paint and the 
in the body like I would the CJ. The uh, LJ must have afforded you more room. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, and Trent, you know, uh, I asked Trent, he said, this, if you ever was going to bring the LJ, the Alaska trip would be the trip you'd need to bring it on. And uh, so since he, he said that, oh, it was awesome. But, like, if you have more room, you bring more things. And sure enough, we <laughs> – You still fill all the nook and crannies. <laughs> we did. I had, I had that thing loaded down so much because we were prepared for for rain every day. Uh, so I had these canopies all over it. And, and like I said, more room, you don't put, you don't fill it up. And we did Tom and I, uh, but it was very comfortable driving, you know, heat and wipers and, uh, windows that you could roll up. So that all part the comforts. Was, oh yeah. That, that I've had, I don't have in the, in the CJ or the buggy for sure. So let's talk about, off-road connection and the kind of work that you do there what would you say your specialty is well i started out with jeeps uh our specialty specialty is uh the jeep vehicle and i started out doing a lot of fab work a lot of spring overs years ago um one ton conversions and engine swaps and that was in the cj yj era um did a lot of axle swaps when the YJs came along for sure, uh, and it and it it's I guess I've done a little bit of everything and I'm glad of it. Uh, you know, we sell floor mats and we install bug shields, but uh, I've never turned away any of that any of that business. But uh, our main vehicles are Jeeps, and uh, and it. It slowly got into trucks and lift kits, tires, wheels. Uh, I backed off of the fabricating a little bit uh, than, than what we used to do. We used to do have three or four projects in there at one time. And uh, I just kind of slowed down to having one at a time. Not stopped doing it, but just uh, backed off because all the JKs uh, – I say I hate saying bolt-on stuff because it makes it sound so simple. But bolt-on things aren't that simple. Yeah, they're they're not as hard as you know a five-three swap. But uh, but the the bolt-on the 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 accessories that come along with Jeeps um, that's a big part of of paying the bills. Absolutely, I I think the JK actually saved our industry. When, no doubt. when they were released. And I mean, I think the aftermarket did a really good job of chasing that vehicle and mm-hmm. by, by, by taking them and just figuring out every little thing that they could, they could modify. Oh, there's no doubt. I've, I've, I've mentioned that a time or two. If in 08, when the industry really took a hard hit, uh, especially the truck world, you know, the JK was released in 07. And if it wouldn't have been, it would have, I don't know what would have happened, but it did save the industry, uh, hands down. I, I believe just what you said. It's I agree. So Jeep, thank you for creating the JK, even though all the TJ and the CJ owners hated it. 
Um, <laughs> they, I think most everybody has now migrated to it. Now everybody hates the JL or the Gladiator. Right. Correct. And now Correct. they're going to have more to hate with the four by E's. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. It's amazing how Jeep owners do that. It is. It is. They're, uh, I've always compared a, a Jeep owner to uh, the guys that, that rode motorcycles, to Harley owners. I mean, it's uh, you've, you've got to love the product to put up with it, just like the Harley guys did. It definitely was not the best motorcycle, but, but uh, it didn't stop people from owning them, just like the Jeep. It's never been, you know, the best, but that's what's fun about owning one. You can make them into the best vehicle and enjoy doing it. Right. And then what was nice about all of those, those, the CJ, XJ, YJ, or no, all of those, except for the XJ, I should say, is they all loved to hate on the XJ. (laughs) (laughs) I know in the XJ is such a good off-road vehicle. Especially right out of the box. It's just exactly. <laughs> it was amazing here, you know, and even the TJ as well. But the XJ with the longer wheelbase, when we were doing outings, uh, we'd have a trail rides around here often, about every weekend. And then the XJ started showing up. And here we were with lockers and, you know, spring overs and this and that and the other. And here comes this Cherokee coming right up behind us. And uh, and, and, and so did the TJ, you know. It was it was uh, definitely an eye opener, as far as the coil springs and the four link, and and that's that's what started the different modifications. Right. So, yeah. what's your favorite vehicle of out of the the Jeep lineup? Well, I, favorite. Well, definitely partial to the the older older iron, the older CJ, and and prior to. I think the best one out of the box, um, as far as longevity, simple modifications, a lot of less tronics, is the TJ era. Right. From 1997-06, it seems to be uh, holding its own in value and and, uh, and easy modifications. Like I said, out of the box, disconnect those sway bars and, and things would go. True, especially with that Rubicon model. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, where do you see where do you see off road connection going over the next, say, five years? Well, mm, I hope we're still doing the same, along with something new. Uh, the industry in the last three or four years have blown up for us. Uh, the bolt ons, like you'd mentioned, the, the JK. Hope we continue to, to be strong in that aspect. Uh, I, I think I hope I just keep everything the same. Uh, it's it's working. We're we only work four days a week. Where they're long days, but we get it. If we can get it done in four days, why not? Uh, I, I guess I'm I'm happy right where it's at. You know, I, I wish I could do better far as uh, websites and. And different things like that, but you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to change, and uh, 
I guess I could, but I would, it would, I, it would be a struggle for me to, to modernize the, the off-road connection. I guess I'm just stuck in how it's always been. You know, when you're honest, uh, an honest, uh, wage or, and, and good work, you just continue to do that and then, and enjoy it. Still just keep enjoying it. What would be your recommendation to, say, a 18-year-old just coming out of high school and wants to get into the off-road business? What would your recommendation be to that individual, whether it's man or woman, or identifies well, as whatever? <laughs> yeah, I don't guess that would matter as long as they, long as they showed up for work and then uh, and care about what they care about their work be take pride in what they do uh, and that goes along with anything but far as the the off-road industry um just jump in and and and, and hang with it don't don't try to be the best at everything you know pick one or two things that that you feel like you're good at and and be the best at it um we've at the RC or the Off-Road Connection, we, we're real rounded. We've never say that we specialize in anything, but uh, I've decided years ago, you can't be good at everything by no means. And and I think a lot of shop owners or a lot of guys make mistakes trying to be that way. You know, Just stick with what you know and, and, and be the best at it. I agree. I agree. And uh, your kids are now, you have more than just the one daughter, correct? No, we just have one daughter. Okay. Uh, she's 21. She's, uh, she's like every dad's daughter. She's the best one. You know, she's, <laughs> she's very enjoyable. Uh, she's, she's an excellent driver off-road. She just she doesn't do it as often as we used to. But uh, when she, when we do get together and go, she's she's good because she listens to her spotter. Um, I, she's she's going to uh, she wants to be something to do with the medical field. She's she's taking a break from college right now, but hopefully start back soon. She's not a online student at all. She needs to go to a classroom. And uh, so she's taking a break right now for us, the COVID stuff. And speaking she, of she, COVID, how did that affect your business? Did you guys have to shut down at all, or is it just a supply chain issue now? Or We did not have to shut down at all. It uh, Fortunately, it hasn't – no one – has been infected at the shop during uh, shop hours. Uh, Josh Sanders, that has been a longtime friend and employee. He's actually he was actually my co-driver this year on the UA. His wife uh, actually came down with it, and uh, he left the shop obviously at that point that he heard, and that was during the Christmas holidays. So. He actually didn't miss but maybe two days of work, uh, and then he was over it and came back. But as far as everyone else, uh, we've been real fortunate. 
and I don't know what's kept us from being exposed because I really hadn't changed a whole lot. I took out the stools in front of the counter, you know, put the hand sanitizer. I didn't require masks. Um, I don't know, just some common sense stuff. But as far as affecting it, we did slow down for one week. We actually had everything in the parking lot inside working on it for one day, if not two. And by the end of the week, we were packed house again and and has been that way ever since. It hadn't hadn't stopped. Well, that's good. Mm -hmm. Before we started the recording, you talked about the supply chain and being able to get parts and and stuff. Is that starting to ease up at all, or is it getting worse? In some products, it's easing up a little, little, a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit of false uh, feeling about that because for a while I could not get shocks. Shocks was holding up every lift kit that we was selling, and then all of a sudden we we're able to get shocks. Uh, with Fox and Bilstein, and and now it's it's a little bit of a shortage. Um, we do a lot of gear changes, a lot of gear changes, uh, and bearings and ring and pinions. Is I've used I've used sources. I'm having to use a lot of different sources to to keep the job going. Uh, but it's a big delay. I we'll get. Four or five vehicles in, can't get parts. They get pushed out. We'll bring four or five more in. They need parts. We push them out. And then about the time I load the shop up again, parts come in for that first five. Then parts come in for that (laughs) second five. (laughs) So it's a lot of juggling to keep everybody happy and and actually get things out, you know, get get vehicles back to their owners and uh, so we can get paid and continue on. And is your clientele mostly from your area, or do you have clientele that come in? Do you have you know customers that come in from out of the area? Both, mostly, obviously the area, but we have a lot of guys that, that come a couple hours away. I've had customers bring their the rigs up from Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, just really all over. Uh, but most it's local in in the area. Cool. Let's talk about Gray Rock. Is uh, Gray Rock still um, open if for business? Is it you guys still putting on events out there? We are not Gray Rock. Uh, Gray Rock, I guess, has been shut down for five years now, six maybe. Time flies, so maybe maybe wrong on that. But there was uh, and. In this state, you may own the land, but you do not own the mineral rights. And so the coal company decided to come back in and strip mine an area that they had stripped before, but they were able to go deeper, cost-effective to be able to go deeper than they did 30 years ago. So that put a damper on the park because it cut the park right in two. You know, we're talking 2,200 acres, and this was probably about a three or 400 slice right down the middle. And it really, it, it made it dangerous because in strip mining, you have high walls. They call them high walls. Uh, they're 100, 200, 300 foot drop-offs. Uh, so with all the mining, the new mining going on, 
it, it was just too big of a risk. Um, so we've had real small events. Um, the rock bouncers have come and held an event there, but it, it wasn't for riding. You know, it was just to come a spectating event to come watch. Right. Uh, cable Hill, but, uh, I still go down there. I still ride what trails are there. Um, just to enjoy that area. It was, it, it meant so much to me. Uh, uh, I, I still enjoy just making the trails clear. If there's a tree down, I'll make a way through or, but just mainly just get down there and uh, enjoy the peace and quiet in the woods, you know? Right. So the, uh, how long how long does it take or when do you guys find out what the the next UA adventure is going to be where it's going to be well that's been uh, a big secret since day one uh, where the UA is going to be held uh, even for us cronies we do not get uh, we do not get the location really. But for about two months prior, maybe some uh, some in, some information will come come out that there yes there will be one, uh, and then from there it trickles down. So we don't get a lot of info, which I kind of like that because it keeps it an adventure myself, you know. Right. Even during the UA, I try to. Well, I do. We get we get the full route you know, downloaded to a tablet or to our phone. But I, I don't even look ahead to see where we're going because I just love not knowing. Um, it was, it's, that's just a huge part of it is not knowing. And it's just actually fun because you'll pull up, you know, 26 vehicles uh, completely take over a gas station. And and uh, the people there, it's the public, it's saying, where are y'all going? And nobody knows. It's like, we don't know. You know, and that's a that's a good part about it. You know, they look at you kind of, you know, funny. But he said that that guy right over there, he knows where we're going. That was Christian and Trent, you know, with points, and we're just following him. And uh, and that's a fun part about it. Let's walk through a typical day on a UA. You guys, um, let's say not the first day, but let's say like third day. You're, you've already wheeled at least one park or one area, and you're getting ready to move on. What's the day look like? Well, generally you have an early driver's meeting. Uh, if it's happened to be a camp night, you're actually up early that morning, breaking camp. You have a driver's meeting. Generally you have about 15 to 30 minutes after the driver's meet, meeting to be ready to pull out. Uh, the, the itinerary is given to you, you know, look, you're the night before, prior to getting to the the campsite, you're, you're going to need, you know, one breakfast, one lunch, two suppers or whatever. And we stop and get that supply prior to that, to that morning. And uh, we take off generally. Not on the best roads, usually dirt, a lot of dirt. But we get to see things that people generally don't see, uh, which I, I definitely enjoy. 
I, even around here, when I go somewhere, I always try to come back a different way just to see different sites. So I guess that's what I enjoy most about it is, is seeing things that people don't get to see or, or wouldn't take the time to go see. And uh, we may just go 200 miles that day, but it takes us 12 hours. And it's because we're, we're seeing things that, that you generally wouldn't see. We just drove from Minneapolis to Las Vegas. And until we got to Laramie, Wyoming, we took no, no interstate and no major highway. It was all back roads, frontage roads, dirt roads. Dang. And that was so cool. I bet it was. It took us five days. Um, and then, it, then we had to jump on the interstate once we got to Western Colorado and got down into, well, to rifle. And then that's when we took the 70 to the 15 and into Vegas because we only had that one day to do it. Right. And we just run out of time. We had planned on making it even longer and going down through Grand Junction and then hitting, you know, some of the trails that cut across into Utah and then down into Nevada. But we just ran out of time. That's that's cool. I'm, I, I would like I'm, one goal is to have time one day to not be on a schedule. Uh, I mean, you all, you're all, always will be on a schedule of some sort, but but the UA, I generally don't have a lot of time uh, prior. So we we drive all night, or we we get there, and the UA starts, and then we turn around and then you know drive home. But I'm I'm looking forward to those days. I can take some extra days and and do what you're talking about. Uh, just see the sights, hit a trail or or a park or whatever it may be. Because I do enjoy, I enjoy that aspect of, of all of the UAs is just going somewhere I never would, never would have planned to go. And there I am there doing it. Right. And I'm ready. You know, I'm looking forward to those days where I can have extra time. But being a business owner and a small business owner, it's hard to be away from work. It is, because if you're not there, it's not generating income. Right, and it's expensive. You're not, you know, this last year I I chose to close, and I've I've done that before. So so I close because I I generally have had office help, uh, and and it was in between having someone there. So if I'm not there, there's no one to answer the phone or greet the customers or order anything the guys i could line up some work for them out there but but it's uh being away from work is expensive you know everybody got an extra paid vacation during the ua i was out spending money definitely wasn't making any money but i I wouldn't change a thing by no means but uh it's hard you know to, to get away so how many more years are you going to continue to uh, do this? Do you have a, do you have an exit strategy? Uh, I don't see myself stopping. Um, I'd, I'd like to see myself 
not having to be there, you know, every day. Um, it's hard to say that, but the property that the building's on, that's just, it's, it's pro, you know, it'll be worth something and hopefully it'll be worth a whole lot more in 10 years. Um, I'll soon be 60. Um, so strategy, maybe to continue doing what we're doing, but maybe have a little bit more extra time to do what something other than be at that shop, you know? Yeah. Uh, my wife, my wife's retired, but she's gone back to work. She's retired from the school system and she, she went back to, to work in the school system. And, uh, she said she's going to continue until she can't physically. And she, she, her job is very physical. She works with the special needs kids. So I imagine by the time she gives up, I'll be about ready to, uh, to throttle back and, and maybe we can, uh, have some extra time to take those back roads. It's uh it's definitely worthwhile. For sure. I, For I sure. think that's one of the things that putting on the event series that we've put on, whether it was the off-road racing, the rock crawling, the rock racing, whatever, what it's afforded us to do was the travel, but especially the last 10, 11 years when we made it full time, we were able to get on the road, live on the road, and take the time between the events to actually experience what America, you know, has to offer. Right. And that's, I mean, from years ago doing the Jeep Jamborees. I mean, I'm talking like in 85, 86. You know, we were actually able to go out of town and enjoy different states then. And I guess that's why I still, that's what I still enjoy is the time away or the time traveling. And I guess that's why the UA has been such a, a, a huge part of it is going different places. You know, even though it's just a week or maybe 10 days. Alaska was 26 days away from work. I never had done that. Yes. And we didn't mess around, you know. We uh, we didn't cut the truck off until we got into Canada, which was about 32 hours. It was uh, Chris Durham and myself and Tom in the truck. And uh, that was the longest time away from work for 26 days. Uh, my daughter and, and Debbie was able to come up and enjoy Alaska prior to the event ending. And then after the event, we, us three, uh, a few excursions, uh, sightseeing. And uh, I guess that's the only year after the UA I, I hung out instead of jumping in the truck and, and busted tail to get back to work. Uh, so but, that, uh, that trip, the Alaska trip, it's pretty iconic. Um, or epic, you might say, um, kind of an adventure. Where did it end up finishing at? Uh, it started in Wasilla, and then it actually looped back around to Wasilla. Oh, okay. It was a it was a, a big circle, and uh, and we hit it at, at a good and bad time. It was bad for Alaska because it, it was a lot of forest fires because it had been so dry, but it did not rain. 
and we had zero mosquitoes. Wow. So it was, yes. And, and then that made it even more special. You know, the host family there was just unreal. That, that whole Winnegar family, uh, the two brothers that, that went on the UA, attended the UA with us. Uh, just this awesome family originally uh, moved from Kentucky. I think it was Kentucky. Pretty sure it was Kentucky to Alaska. And uh, they've been there ever since. And uh, it's a great family. And did when you're sightseeing with your family, did you uh, did you go down into Anchorage or yeah Anchorage? Because Wasilla is just uh, just north, isn't it? I think that's north? right. That's yeah. correct. About I think it was is Wasilla is about an hour maybe outside Anchorage. We did not. We uh, we took the railroad. And went into a couple of towns. Uh, we dog sled. We went dog sledding, uh, but without snow. the The sled had wheels. That was a that was a great experience. Um, we took a river boat up the uh, river to sightsee. I mean, it was it was just a great all around experience. Uh, we we rented a couple of bicycles and rode around. Um, it was uh, definitely. I want to go back, uh, and hopefully when I do go back, and I would drive again, but I would want uh, I would want a month to get there, not uh, not six days. So, so the did you have any wildlife encounters? We did. We saw every animal there was, I believe, uh, more so in Canada than Alaska. But in Alaska, we saw the moose, uh, badgers. Uh, I don't think we saw bear in Alaska, but we saw where bear had been at our campsite prior to us getting there. Uh, one morning, a uh, moose went through our campsite um, it was, it was fun. I got to fish. I wanted to catch a fish in Canada and I wanted to catch a, a trout, a, a fish in Alaska. And, uh, we were able to do that. And, and, uh, that was, that was, a another check mark. We were fly fishing, enjoyed that. Um, there's just so much to do up there, but you got to enjoy the outdoors to enjoy Alaska for sure. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Well, cool. So, is there anything that we've uh, we haven't touched bases on, or do you want to tell any uh, good stories about Oh Vern or Trent or Rick or <laughs> Christian or any of those or Chris Durham? Uh, oh. I think Christian and Rick are the only ones I haven't uh, out of the names I just mentioned that I have not interviewed yet. So maybe something about one of those two that I can that I can make sure that they uh, they know is coming. Oh, there's so many good times, good stories. Uh, I don't know if I should. I don't know. I, I may, I may not get invited to come back if I, if I tell all the stories. But no. uh, there, there definitely has some has been some great times, uh, and some good friendships made out of this industry. You know, meeting people just like you, for instance. And, 
when you and Josh and y'all came to Gray Rock. You know, that was no, we hadn't seen each other. We haven't spoken in a long time, but uh, here we are speaking. You know, it's it's uh, it is special. The 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 friendships that that we have made in this industry. Um, by visiting everybody and hanging out and having you know that like interest of wheeling has has made my life since night since I turned forty two really special oh for sure for sure uh, and, and it's hard to explain to people because through debbie's work we have a lot of friends outside the uh you know the off road world the industry and 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 uh, you know they you know, yeah yeah we're going uh, Jeep ride that weekend you're doing what you know it's just hard to explain how good of a hobby a industry it really is and, you know they they see the videos they 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 miss the you know the riding part of it has is definitely enjoyable I still enjoy it but the time spent at the campground at night in the mornings during the day away from the trail is just as important or it's not, it's just as fun as, is going over a big rock. Oh, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's the, it's the whole, it's the whole pie, you know, it's just not a piece of it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Keith, I want to say thank you so much for, for agreeing to be interviewed. I know that you were, you were concerned about talking about your life and uh, doing this interview, but I think you did a great job. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on board and spending some time with us and talking to, uh, to our listeners. And uh, I think people will enjoy it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and, and you're, you're correct. Uh, I was, I was very nervous, but you made it, you made it easy. Uh, one thing I could, I could think of when you when you was asking me to do it was on the UAs when uh, Michael Harrington, one of the the uh, video producers that that filmed the UAs for years, right when I would uh, at the wrong moment I say, but it was at the correct moment, but wrong moment for me, he would stick a camera in my face and he'd want to ask me all these questions and I just would freeze up and I. I had a really hard time doing that sometimes, and uh, that's all I could think about when you when you asked me to do it. But uh, you made it very easy, and I appreciate the opportunity again. Well, I appreciate you spending the time, and so say hello to the family for me, and uh, I hope your your business is all that it can be and successful, and that you get more time to enjoy the rest of the world. I appreciate that. And you as well. And enjoy that boat. Enjoy that salt life. <laughs> yeah, salt life. That's uh today we've got rain um and it's kind of drizzly out and but tomorrow it'll be back into the seventies and I mean it's not real bad. I mean we're at sixty six, sixty seven degrees. Um, nice. but it's uh any day on the water is a good day. Oh, I agree. Just looking at water, just watching it. Yes, oh, so true. It's very enjoyable. All right, Keith, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, have a great life. We'll talk to you later. All right, Rich, thank you. I okay. really appreciate it. All righty, bye-bye. Bye.
If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.